Good morning. Welcome to South Park Church. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you for joining us for worship today, whether you're with us here in our traditional sanctuary or joining us from upstairs in our modern sanctuary, watching us online or listening to our podcast. We're excited that we have all these ways to come together to worship God, but we are one church with one message and we serve the one and only God. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, uh, got a lot to eat, spent some time with family and friends, and uh, how many have decorated for Christmas yet? You got all your stuff up, anybody? Anybody got some more to do? That's all right. Now it's officially time to do that, right? Even though the stores had Christmas stuff out before Halloween, uh, so they were ready to go with that. And I know some of us will have some modest decorations, and some of us will be like the Griswold family on uh, the movie uh, Christmas Vacation, where you turn the lights on out outside and the rest of the power grid goes down because you have so many Christmas lights. Uh, It's a fun time of year as we think about preparing uh, for Christmas. Uh, Thanksgiving, my 10-year-old nephew was so excited that he just got his braces on and he has brackets that are red and green for Christmas. So he has a mouthful of Christmas ready to go uh, for the holiday season. And I know that our young children are excited about Santa Claus and we'll be getting ready for that. If you've ever seen the movie Elf, we've got uh, a picture of that here. Santa's coming. I know him, right? We're getting ready. The lists are being sent out. All that good stuff. It's a great time of year to get ready. But even more important than all of this is that we get ready for Jesus to celebrate the birth of Christ, which is what Christmas is all about, right? Jesus' birthday. And so we find ourselves in this four-week period leading into Christmas called Advent, which comes to us from a Latin word, Adventus, uh, which means the coming or the arrival or the presence, right? So we're looking forward to celebrating the first coming of Jesus, uh, born in Bethlehem, and we're going to do all that on Christmas Eve. We also look forward to the second coming of Jesus when he comes back in his bodily form to the earth at the end of time uh, so that we can all then spend eternity with Christ. And so we're kind of caught between that, right? The first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And so how do we prepare ourselves for a relationship with Christ. And so we're going to be spending the next four weeks together going through a study looking at the one person in the Bible who helped us prepare for the coming of Jesus, and his name was John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And so our series is Prepare the Way for the Lord. How can we prepare the way for the Lord in our lives, even as John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord for the very first time in the Bible? And so we're going to be using a study from a pastor named Adam Hamilton. He's a United Methodist pastor out in Kansas City. And as Brad said here, and I know Melissa said upstairs, we have an Advent study that follows the sermon series. And so if you'd like to participate, just show up here today at 4.30 in the traditional sanctuary here. And you can read along and and join a group of people as we go through this study of John the Baptist as he helps us prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. Let's look at... Uh, The last book in the Old Testament, it's a prophet named Malachi, and this is what God tells us in Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. In Jesus' day with the Roman uh, emperor, uh, whenever the Roman emperor would go to a city to visit that city, 
they would take some time to prepare for his visit. Because when the emperor came, they would have all these parties and festivals, and it would be a very big deal. They would even print money with the emperor's face on it. And so it's kind of like the World Cups going on in our world today. And to get ready for that takes a lot of preparation, months and even years to get ready for that. And so uh, what John the Baptist was tasked to do was he was doing that for Jesus, the spiritual king, to get the people of Israel ready for the coming of Christ. What does that look like for you and me in our everyday lives? So I want to dive in today in the scripture. We're going to go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel means the good news, the good news of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. And this is written by Luke, who was a first century physician who followed Christ. And we're going to see uh, how John the Baptist came into existence to help us prepare the way for the Lord. So let's see what's going on in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, Herod was the local ruler who ruled on behalf of the Roman government. And Herod was getting up in in age, and he was very paranoid that someone was going to take over his kingdom. And so he had a lot of people assassinated, and so it's not a safe time to be in the land of Israel. So Herod was ruling, and there was a priest named Zechariah. Right? One of the religious priests for God in Israel and Jerusalem. And his name was Zechariah. There was an Old Testament prophet named Zechariah who talked about the coming of the Lord. I, I don't think it's by mistake that this priest was named Zechariah. And he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. There were 24 different groups of priests. Some were on duty, others would be off duty. Right, He's in this group. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was one of the first priests, and so he was the brother of Moses. So uh, Zechariah is a priest. His wife Elizabeth is kind of the daughter of a priest, so a pastor, daughter of a pastor. Uh, so that's, that's where we're starting out here. Let's keep going. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. They did right things. They observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This was a good priest. This was a good priest's daughter, right? These were good followers of God. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. We're going to read in just a minute that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for years to have a child. Right? They wanted a child because they, they wanted to be parents and have that emotional connection to, to a child or children. And also in, in this time, in the first century in Palestine, it was expected that everyone would have a child. And if you didn't have a child, then there might be something wrong with you. They, they viewed children also not just because they loved them, but they needed them to provide an income for the family and, and help the family survive and to take care of their parents when they became older in old age. And so it had to have been very difficult for Zechariah and Elizabeth not to have children. It's very painful. I know that there are many people in the world today that also understand that pain. The Mayo Clinic said that 10 to 15% of couples who want to have children are not able to have children because of something physiological going on. And I think that many people in our world today understand that hurt and that pain, and it's tough, and we can, we can sympathize with Zechariah and with Elizabeth. And I think that some people today probably might believe 
something that people in Jesus' day believed, and, and they believed it even though it was not true. That I can't have children because there's something wrong with me and God must be punishing me. But that's not the truth. That's not the truth now. It's not the truth in the first century. As we see with Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were blameless before God. They were righteous. They did good things. They did nothing wrong. This was not a punishment from God. So I want to make that really clear. That also is true today. There's nothing wrong between us and God if we're not able to have children. There is good news and hope. And so we'll hope you'll stick with us and, and, and think through this. So let's keep going with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. There was one place to worship God. It was in Jerusalem. It was a huge temple, kind of a national cathedral. And inside of that, there was a place that only the priests could go into the throne room of God and By lot, by a draw, Zechariah, one of the 24 divisions, got to do this. And this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Not all the priests are going to be able to go and do this. So this is a high honor for him to go in and and to burn incense. And so he went in. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the priest on the inside, there's a group for non priests on the outside worshiping. Zechariah's in this holy place once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Let's see what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Right, An angel is a messenger from God. A lot of times we view them as being big and strong with, with wings, but not all angels have wings. And I'm not sure here, but Zechariah knew it was an angel. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. He realized this was a messenger from God. Right? What's going on here? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. All of those many years of praying. And now the prayer is answered that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have a son, and they are to name him John. The scripture says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old And by that, that means that they were past the point of when you were supposed to be able to have children. And now this miraculous thing happens that they're going to have a son. And we know that he's going to be John the Baptist. He's going to be the cousin of Jesus. He's going to be the one who prepares the way for Jesus and for the Lord in our lives. There's a lot of stuff here that I I don't want us to miss. I want us to think a little bit about prayers Right? And what, what is prayer? What's involved in that? Right? Because not everyone who prays gets what they want. Right? Zechariah and Elizabeth had a son. It took a long time to get there, but, but some people don't get that prayer answered. So let's think about how prayer works in our lives. Adam Hamilton has a really cool couple of quotes here I want to share with you. One of them is that our prayers are always heard by God. Even if we don't see the results that we're looking for, right? Sometimes God answers our prayers differently. Or they don't come in the time frame we hope, right? For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it took them an entire lifetime to have this prayer answered in the way that they had asked for, right? And one more quote from Adam Hamilton. Prayer is primarily about communication with God, giving thanks, 
offering praise, placing our life in God's hands, inviting God to lead and to guide us, to forgive us, and to use us. So prayer includes asking God for things. That's part of it. But prayer is much bigger than that. It's a relationship. It's talking to God, listening to God, spending time with God, asking for forgiveness, right? offering God praise, all these various things. right? And so I think sometimes we get confused that prayer is mostly just asking God for things. I, just, I want you to think about somebody in your life, a friend, a family member, you know, people that you love to spend time with. And I want you to think about if your only experience with them, every time that you see them, they ask you for something, right? What kind of relationship would that be, right? Hey, it's good to see you today, right? Can you hook me up with 20 bucks? Uh, can you give me a ride to the airport? I know it's pouring down rain today and it's 3 a.m. to go there, but could you do that, right? And, and good friends, good family, we would do things like that for each other. But if the only contact you had with someone that you were in a relationship with was asking you for something here, something there, something here, right? That would get old, right? That, that's a one-way relationship, right? But, but true friendship, true family, it's spending time together. It's talking to and listening. It's not always asking for stuff, right? And so I think that's what our relationship with God is supposed to be like as well. It's a communion together. It's time spent together in the presence of God. And we talk and we listen. And, and yet, we can ask for things. Absolutely, that's okay. But we have to remember that God's not like a genie in a lamp. Where all that we do is when we want something, we, we pray, we rub that lamp. We say, God, I need three wishes today. Right? That's how a lot of us treat God. But that's not how prayer is intended. Right? It's okay to ask God for things. Even big things. Even home run things. Absolutely. Right? But a relationship with God is beyond just asking for things, right? So we don't want to see God as some kind of genie or some kind of vending machine where we say the right combination of prayer, then we, we get spit out what we exactly want, right? Now, God does answer and hear all of our prayers, right? We have to remember sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes it's immediate. Like, thank you, God, for that, right? Sometimes the answer is no, I'm sorry. I know that you really want this and need this, but I just it's not going to happen. You have to trust my wisdom. And sometimes with God, the answer is wait, which none of us like, right? <laughs> wait. And, and usually we don't know how long. It might be a week, might be a month, it might be years, right? Decades, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? So in your life right now, what does your prayer life look like with God? What does it look like to commune and be in the presence of God? And, and if you've asked for certain prayers in your life, then, then maybe to remember sometimes that yes comes, no comes, and sometimes wait comes. And if you're having to wait, that, that it's okay to trust God in, in the midst of this. Right? And then, I think sometimes that our prayers that go unanswered, or God says no to, sometimes we can be grateful for that. Garth Brooks, the great country singer that he is, has a song called Unanswered Prayer. Anybody ever heard that song? Right? So he, in this song, he's singing a song and he's thanking God that when he was younger and he asked God if he could marry his high school sweetheart, it never happened. And it broke his heart. But then he saw her later in life when he was married and had a family that would never have happened if God had answered his prayer. And so... Thank you, God, for not answering my prayer. Right? I've prayed that prayer before in my life when I was in middle school and high school. God, please let me marry my girlfriend. She's wonderful, and I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And 
just wasn't meant to be. And I look back now and I'm grateful that I never would have met my wife, Laura. We never would have had our two children. Uh, and so sometimes we should thank God for unanswered prayers. And I think I've seen that that's true also for people who didn't get the job they thought was their dream job or didn't get into the college that they wanted to get into or didn't get the house that they wanted to, to have or didn't make the team that they wanted to make. And then later on down the line, it absolutely made sense. In the moment, it was hurtful, it was painful, but later on, it's like, wow, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. You are wiser than me. So in your life right now, right, maybe you're in a prayer time, maybe that's something to think about. But then there are the prayer times that really are hard for us to deal with. We're, we're, we have something hard in our life, and we ask God, Lord, take this from me. I don't understand why you would leave me with this. It makes no sense that I'm sick or someone that I love is hurting or I'm going through this difficult time. God, why won't you just remove this burden from my life? And I personally don't have the answer to that. But I do know that even in the hard moments that we have in our lives, which I don't believe that God causes to happen, that God works through those. There's a family, a husband and wife, who wanted children more than anything. And they went through four miscarriages together. And just think about you know, the hope of, hey, we're pregnant. This could be the chance. This could be the time that we're finally going to be able to have a child, only to lose that child. Not once, not twice, not three times Four times. Think of the pain and the heartbreak, right? Didn't have the Zechariah and the Elizabeth moment, right? They lost these four pregnancies. Well, this family wanted so much to have children and to do everything that they could. And so through their life, they began to discern an interest in fostering children. And they, they brought in their first foster child. That went really well. It gave them a sense of meaning and fulfillment. And over the course of their life, they fostered over 30 children. And think about those 30 children who didn't have a parent, right? Didn't have a mom or dad that they could identify. They were in some kind of a state facility or, or whatever. And, and now they had an opportunity to have a family who loved them. Doesn't take away the pain of the miscarriages at all. But through that, God works together to do good things in our lives. And they didn't stop just with 30 foster children. They heard that the local, uh, I guess, Department of Social Service, whatever, would have all these kids, too many kids to shelter. And so sometimes they had to put some of the teenagers back out on the street. This family heard that was going on, and they said, you know what? We've got a room in our house where we'd be glad to host some of these teenagers overnight. We'll give them a place to sleep, give them something to eat, give them a place to shower. And in the course of this couple's life, they fostered 30 children and they gave shelter and food and showered over 700 teenagers. 700 teenagers. Think about the impact that this couple has had on 730 children who didn't have someone to love them. And it came from the pain of not being able to have children. God did not cause that, that miscarriage or that pain. But God took that and used it to do miracles. So if you're in a painful situation, right, know that God is with you and is there to comfort you. It's not causing that pain. But even in the midst of something difficult, God can bring good into your life. Right? Adam Hamilton says this about miracles. I love this. The miracles God works sometimes come in ways that are different from what we imagined when we pray. Right? We might pray something and just not see the whole picture.
But if we trust God, God will bring miracles into our lives. Another neat thing about this passage of Scripture with Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, is it describes them as being very old. In our culture, we would probably see that as an insult because we don't value age like the people in Jesus' time or other countries around the world when we should value that. And so in this time, right, Zechariah and Elizabeth are called to do the work of the Lord. And when we read Scripture, we see that God uses people of all ages, from a, a young boy named David to fight the huge giant Goliath, all the way to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who in their old age, God says, I need you to do something for me. And we're reminded that when God called Abraham to go from his homeland to the promised land, that Abraham was 75 years old. When God called Moses to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt through the Exodus, that Moses was 80 years old. Hey, I'm just getting started in my retirement. You want me to go do what? Right? When Sarah, Abraham's wife, had their first son, right, Isaac, to be right, the descendant of all of the nation of Israel, she was 90 years old. Right? Can you imagine 90 years old having a baby? I couldn't do that now myself. Right? Like, that's amazing. What God has done, and I would say to those of you who are considered very old in our culture, that God loves you and has use for you, right? Because people who are older have wisdom and life experience and skills that you can use to serve God in the world. You have time in retirement that you might not have had earlier. And there's so many people in our congregation who are retired and doing great things for God. And I'm so grateful for you. And it reminds us that we never are too old to serve God. We're never too young to serve God. But in this story, it, it's the elderly, right, that God calls us to have the young, right, the son, the child, John, who's going to be a young man who does great things for God. Right? And I think it shows, right, we never retire from doing the Lord's work, right? God always has need for it. I think that's a really cool thing, and I'm grateful to all of you, whatever age you are who are serving for God, but especially our, our older folks who are doing great things for God in this congregation. Now, let's get back to John, right? So Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? Zechariah has his prophecy, and let's see what else the angel says to him. Your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is even born. God is doing something special in the womb, right? That's amazing. That's awesome. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. People who have strayed, John is going to bring them to God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. People in the Old Testament thought that Elijah was the prophet. He was going to come back. He's the one that never died. He went up to heaven in a fiery chariot. And he was supposed to be the one who announced the Messiah Right, God's changing the script a little bit. John's going to take Elijah's place right, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Right? Again, so many people in our world have turned their backs on their kids or we've turned our backs on our neighbors or the, or the children of the world. And, and John's going to turn things around. Right? He's going to turn the parents back to their children and the disobedient back to the wisdom of the righteous. Right? Transform our thinking into, into God's thinking, right? Transformed thinking leads to transformed actions and transformed lives to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John came to preach, right, before Jesus came, a message of repentance. It means to turn around. 
You've turned your back on God, turn back to God. You've turned your back on your family, turn back to your family. You've turned your back on your neighbor, turn back to your neighbor. You've turned your back on the ways to thinking like God, turn back to right thinking. And I think that's the point today. So what's the point, the big idea, what's the takeaway? I think this is it. Preparing for the Lord involves turning back. Preparing for the Lord involves turning back. It involves turning back to God. We've turned our back on God, so we turn back to God. We turn back to each other, right? Our world is full of of violence and pain and brokenness, and, and, and we turn our backs on each other. John says, turn back to one another, and we turn back to right ways of thinking, right? Transformed thinking leads to transformed action, leads to transformed lives. So the word in the Bible is repent. It literally means to turn around. Right? And so preparing for the Lord involves turning back to God, turning back to each other, turning about to the right way of thinking, right, to God's way of thinking. So as an action item, I would challenge you to do this, uh, this Advent season, right? Do one thing to help people see the love of God this Advent season, right? You've got four weeks. Do one thing to help people in your life see the love of Jesus, Right? Maybe you, you make them a meal. Maybe you rake their leaves in their yard, right? And then, why are you doing that? Because Jesus loves you, man, right? That's why. Maybe it's inviting somebody to one of our Christmas things, to the extravaganza, or to our dinner, or to the ladies' tea, right? Or to the, the study group, or the adults plus. We've got a lot of cool ways to plug in, or to, we're going to have Christmas Eve services, we're going to have a Christmas Day service, right? We've got all kinds of things that you can invite people to. Right, so share the love of God, show the people the love of God one way this Advent season. And one thing that we do every year right, is we have a Christmas Eve offering. Right? This is the way that we show love in the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, because what Christmas is what? Jesus' birthday. If it's Jesus' birthday, why are the wee ones getting all the presents, right? Totally okay to give each other presents on Christmas. Absolutely. I'm going to do that with my kids, my wife, my family. Right? But it's Jesus' birthday. Right? So what do you get Jesus, the one person who has everything he ever needs in the world? What do, you, what do you give them? So our tradition has been to take up a financial offering that we give 100% away. Right? We give it to religious groups. We give it to nonprofits. We give it to ministries who are doing the work of God and they need some financial help. Right? And so that's one way that we can show people the love of Jesus this Christmas Eve as we take up that offering. Right, so this year, we're going to take up an offering for a couple of different areas. Uh, the first is a couple of different groups that we are connected with through our church here in Charlotte that fight against human trafficking. Right? Charlotte is number one in the state of North Carolina in trafficking of people. Right? That's modern-day slavery. Usually it's women and children. Uh, we're number one in the state. We're in the top ten in the nation. We're not proud of that. That's not something that we want to be proud of. So we should do something about that. So we partner ongoing for years with groups. One of them is Justice Ministries here in Charlotte, and the other is newer to us. It's Dahlia Grove here in Charlotte that they fight human trafficking. And what they really do is they help the women and children who have been rescued from being slaves in our city and they help them get their lives back together. And they tell them about Jesus. And you talk about transforming someone's life, right? Most of the slavery in our, in our city usually is domestic. You know, you, you have to work for someone in their house, do those things. But most of it's sexual. I'm not going to get into that, but you can imagine how terrible that is. These two groups, in the name of Jesus, help people get their lives back in order. And say, this is not what God meant you to do in your life. 
And the other group that we're going to support this year is uh, one that we've supported before. It's Haywood Street Congregation. It's a United Methodist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. That is a congregation made up of homeless people, and it's four homeless people in Asheville. And they feed the homeless. They have a place for them to stay if they've been in the hospital to recover. They help them with medical things. It's an amazing ministry. And the founding and current pastor of that church, Brian Combs, grew up in our congregation. And we love Brian, and we love what he's doing, and they've been a partner with us for many, many years, right? And so we're going to help human trafficking survivors in Charlotte. We're going to help Haywood Street Congregation, uh, and it's a way of saying God loves you, and God has better things in store for you. So that's one thing to be praying about, one way that we could help share the love of Jesus with people this year for Advent. I want to close today just thinking about another prayer Right? We, we talked about unanswered prayer, we talked about yes, no, we talked about wait. We've seen Zechariah and Elizabeth have their prayer answered later in life. Um, but there were a lot of people between the Old Testament and John the Baptist that were praying, God, please send the Messiah. Please send the Savior. We've gotten so off track in our nation, we need you to come and to rescue us. Year after year, people pray for the Messiah. Year after year, it didn't look like it's going to happen. The Romans are dominating us in Israel. When's it going to happen? And finally, Jesus is born. Right? We celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus, coming back right in all of his glory. But I don't want us to miss right now. Have you experienced the arrival of Jesus in your own life personally? That God loves you. And that God has created you in God's image. That God wants you to live a life that is full now and forever in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was born. That's why he's going to die on a cross. That's why he's going to come back to life. Jesus came to be in a personal relationship with you. Have you experienced that? And if not, we would love to help you explore that together. As we together get ready to prepare the way for the Lord in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me now invite you to pray with me. Gracious and ever-loving God, waiting is such a hard thing to do. We're looking forward to Christmas and celebrating the birth and singing Christmas carols and having gifts and presents, God. And just help us, Lord, to see over these next four weeks that we can make use of that time, that we can wait to Christmas to celebrate, that we can invite you into a conversation now through prayer, that we can talk to and listen to you, God. We can spend time reading your scripture. We can spend time worshiping. We can spend time serving, God, that you would make yourself visible to us. Help us to rethink that prayer is more about a conversation and a, an experience than just asking you for things. But we thank you, God, that we can ask you for things. You tell us to ask uh, you for things. And so, God, we ask that you would be with us to help us be wise in, in receiving your answers of yes or no or wait. Because that waiting, God, is so incredibly difficult for us. But we know, God, that you're trustworthy. And that even in difficult times that you don't cause, that you work to do good. Like the couple that couldn't have their own children, Lord. They had four miscarriages, but were able to foster 30 children and to welcome over 700 teenagers into their homes. If you can do something like that in their lives, what can you do with the pain in our lives? 
again, God, you don't cause that pain. And you're with us to process it. But help us to do something good with it. God, help us spend this Advent season preparing our hearts and our lives for you as we turn back to you and to each other and to right ways of thinking. Thank you, Lord, for this Advent season. May we be like John, preparing the way for you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.